Listeners everywhere, welcome to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan, the weekly fix for your screen addiction and a trusted source for discussion of all things film and television. Please keep in mind that for the purposes of this podcast, Joel and Ryan are not acting as journalists, but rather fellow moving picture enthusiasts. All of their opinions should be taken as such. Also, please be warned that while Joel and Ryan may seem like petulant children, they are, in fact, adults who may occasionally use adult language. While they promise to bleep out all the worst words, it's a good bet you will still understand what they were saying. And now, with no further ado, here's Joel and Ryan. See if I can remember uh, Ryan's impression of me starting the show last week. Um, hey, everybody! Uh, welcome to the show with Joel and Ryan. <laughs> I did the it, best I could. I don't know. I oh my god! I howled. I loved it so much. Uh, the hey other everybody. show, I, only one other show in all our eight million mm-hmm. shows that I do without you. I did the same thing. I on that mm-hmm. was we were audio only, so I was able to pretend to be you and then be like <laughs> be like a false answering machine message. You'd be like, nope, yep. nope. It's me or whatever. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I mean, we are almost at episode 200. We're like really, really close to episode 200. Are we so. good? Because those anniversary yeah. episodes, I don't have to do any actual work for. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just show uh, up. Well, okay. Yeah, show, just show up. up. There's pinatas and confetti, and I just have to show well, up. It's awesome. That was all. That well, that was just <laughs> the one other time. Let's see what I what I how much bandwidth I have to uh, mm-hmm. to create it to you know. Uh, I may just literally just invite everybody on and say, "Hey, everyone, come on, and we'll have a you know, we'll have a fourteen box thing, and everyone will just talk over each other and make it." I would uh, settle. Listenable. I would settle for quad box. Like on the uh, NFL, whatever thing, red zone. <laughs> yeah. Oh, let's go to quad box. Quad box, I believe, is the most that they ever have at games at one time. And so when they hit the quad box, he's all like, "It's quad Ooh. box," and everybody freaks yeah, out. Yeah, there's because yeah, there's four four potential scoring scoring plays. Not eight. Oh, octo box is what I was talking. Octo box. Yeah, you're so quad box times. Oct- times two yeah sorry everyone boy and this is this is one of our technical shows probably not best (laughs) do one of those after a long day's work like i've had today but couldn't be helped. Here we are. Uh, are you going to say who you are? And then I get to say who yeah, I am. Yeah. So, so welcome, everybody. Uh, you know, yeah, we're three minutes into the show, but we're still the movie show with Joel and Ryan. And I am Joel. And I'm Ryan. And we're super thrilled to uh, to have you. Uh, oh, I am so glad that we are here talking into your ear holes today. You haven't uh, said that for months, <laughs> but I, I still think it's funny. So I said it's my favorite thing to say. That, oh, that reminds me of Joel. So, um, but we are glad that you are here. And uh, today, yes, today, as Ryan hinted, it is going to be it's it's a tech filled day. It is going to be one of our nerdier episodes. I love these episodes. I always learn um, actually a ton. And if you are a lover of films, if you are a lover of the craft of films, 
Well, then these are episodes for you. We, we've done, what are the other kind of, we, we've talked about the evolution of home video. Right, we did the, and, that was probably the closest to this. Cause this is, this mm-hmm. is really more, a, you'll see, it's more like that show. Mm-hmm. It's the different innovations through time rather than yep. let me explain to you what's going on inside. Yep. It's, it's a little less that I'm not qualified to do that, but, um, so that's a good comparison. You know, we did the production meeting mm-hmm. where we talked about all the different uh, crews. Yeah, the, the, mm-hmm. that was fun. And and uh, you know, the danger is, I'll just say, I was going to save this for after the <laughs> this fanfare. But you know, the 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 danger is that I, while I know more about today's topic, I know mountains more than pretty much all of you. All but one of you. <laughs> um, I I still don't really. I'm not some expert on it, so I just know enough to say the wrong thing or to get confused or to mix up terms or like that. All of those things are a danger when we're talking about that. So we're going to try yep. and keep, even though you saw if you clicked on the link what this show is about, we are going to try and keep it fun and movie related and not really tech related. Yeah, yeah. Which, which as I said, I'm not. I can't really do anyway. And uh, it's always fun. I, I like anything where you move through time, you know. I think that's neat. It's a neat way to experience stuff. I think we gravitate toward that in our lists and in our all that stuff because yep. let's let's shoot this bad boy in order, you know what I mean, and keep, keep continuity tight and all that. I think that's – if you can, yep. do it. Do it. And and always remember, we are prisoners of the present, oh. locked in, only ever able to perceive of things after they have happened. It's true. Uh, and yeah. I know that disembodied voice at the beginning, she tells you, oh, hey, don't worry, they're going to bleep out the... Is a guaranteed one really bad word coming that I probably won't. It's really hard. You guys, it's just, I wanted to bleep them out and have fun with that. I actually think as a comedic effect, bleeps are funnier than profanity. Mm -hmm. I think you, you put a beep on something and it, it just, it's awesome. But it's, you guys, when you're looking at like an hour and 58 minute wave file and you got to go find where it is, (laughs) you said the bad word. It was, it's a lot. It's a lot of work. Oh, I you I used to I I used to have a pen back like back when I used to use my iPad to yeah. do my rundowns and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I used to try to make I used to try to make minute marks and stuff. I do have like uh, uh, you know right ready. I have the uh, if we ever have to, uh, you know I can I can bleep <laughs> hmm. us out. I like that. That uh, might work. That might work. Well, okay. We'll see if we can. Right. We'll see if well, we cue each me... other up right for that big moment. I, you, I, you'll probably oh. see it coming. Um. It's just, we're, I'm sorry about that. I mean, it's nothing you guys never heard before, but uh, I'm still, I just wanted to get that out of the way. We, we, yep. We're not exactly um, a family show. I, we think your family <laughs> might be bored to tears with our show, but we are very specific. But we, it's true. We, I could also, right in the I could intro, also use, we promise not to do mm-hmm. that. So I could use this as a, as a, as a bleep too. I could just go like, and what the? No. Yeah. And then. <laughs> if you'd use that one though i have to remember not to say the actual word because that will not drown me out unfortunately right but we'll see um we'll see yeah. we better get going there's new yeah our, afoot. yeah so we're gonna talk a little bit at the top here before we get into our uh the main chunk of the show 
Uh, we're going to talk about the uh, the heads of production at Warner Brothers Movie Studio. So I was watching on Hulu mm-hmm. the uh, the documentary about the Duggar family, uh-huh. you know, the 19 and counting and then 20 and counting and blah, blah, blah. And essentially how that show was essentially, you know, I mean, it's a very fringe religion, religious thing, almost a cult uh, type view and how that made discovery what it is and how essentially the reason why discovery was able to merge with uh and essentially buy out warner brothers yeah. uh etc they were, is based- they were they were built on the american freak show they were built on yep. the spine of the american freak show they're yep. not a, they're not the only ones but they absolutely and were they don't- and and you know I haven't seen and that documentary, is, but I'm aware of the a handful yeah, of the and most then, famous and grossest scandals that go along with that thing. So yeah, and then the uh, the uh, uh, the HBO or I'm sorry, the Max documentary on the history of Warner Brothers, which is which is quite you know it's a it's Warner Brothers, it's you know it's movie history, it's a great documentary on you know, movie history and and this mm. you know and, and of course of course Warner Brothers never did almost never did anything wrong you know they always they always went at everything with the purity of artistic endeavors, uh, but no they 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 do also sort of fail to mention that uh you know the the whole discovery merger and uh yeah anywho um but uh, that's so yeah so we're but we're Look, gonna that's talk extremely unpopular about- even john oliver just poops all over discovery on his own max show yep just, um, which i don't know how he gets away with that but it's hilarious when he does it's really yep. really funny um, but let's talk about these heads of production, uh, uh, James Gunn, Peter Safran, and uh, Chantel Nong, who is the senior. Well, vice they're president the DC the people. I wanted to talk. About, I mean, I don't. I wanted to mention them, but I don't give a crap about DC at all. Actually, mm. uh, it's it's more oh, the, okay. It's more the actual heads of production at Warner Brothers Studio because DC is its own thing they are sort of answerable in a weird way to these guys but they really aren't they're independent completely really with their own sort of rules and everything so it's that they learned that or they, it's another way they're sort of trying to copy what disney and marvel did who again are everybody all these media companies hard to feel bad for them somehow disney and marvel are hitting on hard times i don't know how that's i just don't even know how that's financially mm-hmm. possible i really don't understand how that can be the case i guess it's just you just spend so much that even though you're hauling in trillions you're yeah you're you're mm-hmm. gambling with your love as the song goes so in reality we're talking about michael deluca correct pat pamela abdi yep they're the they're the they're the movie they're the movie folks then there's uh Channing uh, Dungey, who's the uh, the chairwoman of the television group, yeah. and then you get James Gunn and Peter Safran, who are the DC. Uh, the D- I don't want to poo-poo the DC thing. That's a pretty big deal. I mentioned that we should mention it, but it, the headline to me isn't those guys. They've had that job for a while. They did their little, you know, live press conference announcements business. You got Flash mm-hmm. coming out Friday or last Friday or something. I don't know. Um. You know, there's lots of news happening, uh, and and 
James Gunn's really, really popular. I mean, Guardians of the Galaxy 3 was really, really popular. Um, but I but I would tell people out there, DC fans and Marvel fans alike, that James Gunn's presence does not suggest a, a DC universe leaning toward his sort of madcap craziness like you saw in his Suicide Squad movie. Um, I would bet... That his, that the Superman movie coming up or whatever is going to be a just as stolid and self serious as any Superman movie has ever been. I just, I just think, mm-hmm. I just think that's how it's going to be, and I think people are going to be stunned by that. I think you're just going to find it. DC just really serious business for some reason. It's it's honestly it's what's good about it. So don't rock the boat too mm-hmm. hard. I think they actually know that, which is good. We'll see. Um. That doesn't mean that everything has to be in slow motion, Joel. It doesn't. Indeed, it doesn't. But it doesn't have to be. Director's cuts don't have to be four hours long. That does. That's not. That doesn't have to be the case for it to be awesome. I guess. I mean. I guess. What's what? I, well, no. It's not like he's the head of the studio. But now that what's what's worse? Um, uh, everything in slow motion or everything having lens flares? Um, everything in slow motion is worse. Yeah, I but, agree. But, but it is worse because it just makes everything slower. <laughs> Lens flares are annoying, and thousands of them in one movie are like, "What are you doing? You are you are making me crazy." And it's and lens flares are an artistic piece of idiocy. But what they don't do, Joel, is make the movie four hours long, and that just. They just win sort of by some weird kind of default because, (laughs) because slow motion is awesome. Like Zack Snyder's slow motion is fantastic, but it, when you trot it out for every damn thing, it just, you get sick of it. You can't not get (laughs) sick of it. And if you're going to get sick of something, better it be something that just happens and goes away right away because. Yeah. Because that's. Because with that, you can just go. And just make it, you know, shield your eyes for a brief moment. So they're b- both terrible, um, we agree, yeah. in some ways. But slow yeah. motion can be awesome. Lens flares aren't, were never awesome and aren't going to be awesome. And I'm not saying that's not a tool to tell you something, but it's not a tool to tell you something about an entire movie, I will promise you, or an entire franchise, I promise you that. So, right, right. Slow motion. Let not oh you (laughs) that's Warner Brothers, kinda. That's a whole bunch of people. Uh but that's actually what we're talking about. Where Metro Goldwyn Mayer and Warner Brothers meet is the the MGM uh kid, Wonder Kids are coming over. Now that Amazon but I can't remember what Michael DeLucas said in this variety article. Let's go read it. It's great. If you're if you're into that old what's going on in the highest parts of Hollywood's type of stuff. There's a fantastic article about them right now, which has a terrible headline. I believe the online clickbait headline is uh, Warner Brothers wants Christopher Nolan back. Some poor reporter went out there, got to spend a whole day with these people, got to interview these big power brokers in Hollywood, did this whole thing on them, and the variety still. It's I feel bad for them because you got to do it. you got to do it. They might as well have just said... Um, uh, you know, Warner Brothers wants Christopher Nolan back for the millennials, and that would was the only thing that would have got more clicks. But the 
but it's great to read them. Like, their whole take on stuff is really, really cool. They really believe... I mean, we'll get to what's not cool, but what's really cool is they believe in the established talent. They do want Christopher Nolan back, who they thought was great for the studio. He was. Love him or lump him. He was fantastic for that studio. He's exactly the right high-minded, pretentious storyteller who makes giant films for everybody type of person that should appeal to a studio like that. His film, um, Oppenheimer, that's coming out soon, very quickly, is been done at Universal because he's mad over the whole Tenet thing, blah, blah, blah. That's a whole other story. But these guys mm -hmm. believe in storytelling. And, and what's great about when you read what they say is they believe in movies being good. And they believe in supporting artists and and storytellers and not putting packages together based on product placement and all other kinds of asinine things. There's a movie I'm going to watch. As soon as I hang up here, I'm going to cook up a big thing of homemade popcorn. Ryan makes the best homemade popcorn in the whole wide world. That would be on my dating profile if I had one. Um, and then I'm going to watch this film from a few years back. Maybe you remember it. It's called Battleship. It's directed oh, by yeah. Peter Berg. It's got Taylor Kitsch in it. And Battleship is... That is the movie I'm talking about. Like, literally, one of the people who wrote it was like a marketing dude for Bud Light or something. It's that kind of movie. <laughs> it's, let's put a Sports Illustrated swimsuit model in it. Let's check all these stupid, stupid boxes. Yeah. Let's find a director who can, Peter Berg, actually make movies, pretty good director. But let's find one who will not object to any studio note that comes across his desk. And let's just piece this thing together this non-franchise franchise beast of a thing together and it's a miracle there's anything enjoyable about it but i do watch it from time to time because somehow there is still some enjoyable things about it the battleship scene in particular where they're actually literally battleship is super clever so you know so i don't know what i'm saying i even like movies like that you know but these guys believe in in you know, letting art happen, even though they're clearly under a lot of pressure to produce hits and franchises and everything else. Uh, they've inherited a couple really weird, risky movies, Barbie coming up. And there's another one too, which that I'm not remembering, but they, they're what's cool about the, the two of them is their instinct was to hop on board, to invite the old fired head of the studio out for the studio visit so that the new people and the old person who greenlit the thing would all be there together supporting the movie. Like that's how you do it. Like that's how you just team up and keep things positive And that's how you do it. It's very, very cool. And it's very cool to hear about their philosophies and stuff. And they, they, you know, they're the couple of the richest people in Hollywood. They're, their time at MGM was a little weird, though. Uh, like, House of Gucci was sort of their biggest hit there, and that was hardly a runaway massive hit. Right. Um, they, they're, he's still, Michael DeLuca still pines and sheds a single tear over the failure of um, Cyrano. You know, they, they, their method has been put to the test for a short period of time at an old studio, and it didn't result in anything that anyone was terribly excited about, so... So that's rough. And yet you can clearly see in each of those product projects, it's like, hey, you do your thing and it's cool and we're not going to get in the way of that. I really believe in that. That's what a studio head and a movie studio suit should be. So, And I'm a big, I'm not a 
big fan of the propaganda, but I mean, in general, I'm a big fan of Warner Brothers in the, mo in the modern era, in my lifetime in particular. They're sort of my favorite movie studio, and I just, I really do want them to succeed because you can't just have trillionaires buying these things. You know, MGM, to buy right. MGM and United Artists, you had to have trillions to burn. Those two studios were so, even with the Bond movies and such, they were so underwater and so such toxic assets for decades that nobody would touch them. They would use the name to sell movies or to release movies, but they weren't really studio functioning studios. They were just piles of stuff, piles of content that now yeah, Amazon's yeah. in charge of. And Amazon probably did a, them a solid by buying that stuff. Because... No one else could have done it. It's kind of as simple as that. So that's now maybe another movie studio that we can be excited about. I don't know. I just feel like I mourn, as bad as like News Corp was and as bad as Fox was there near the end, I mourn the loss of, of Fox Searchlight and 20. I just mourn the loss of that. One of the One of the very few massive studios left producing original content and distributing big indie films and they just poof, they're just gone i know they still kind of are around but they just aren't y'all they're they're a thing that was there one minute and was useful to moviegoers and now they're just a shingle they're just a they're no different than the hollywood pictures or caravan pictures who, who disney doesn't use anymore um except there's you know you got you can make alien and predator movies and fantastic four movies now. Cause you, cause you, th that's all under that umbrella. That's not enough. And it hasn't been enough to me while we've been sitting here. So I wish those yeah. guys the best of luck variety. That variety article is really neat. I recommend reading it. We got a big tech show to get through enough to talk too long about this. Joel, you have anything? No, uh, no. I mean, it, if you believe what Warner Brothers, I mentioned earlier the the, the Warner Brothers documentary uh, that is on Max, yeah. and and they they do you know they the Warner Brothers it, documentary it, on the Warner Brothers property. What a weird yeah yeah yeah. I mean, and it's and it's all it's all advertisement. It's all you know a hundred years. They're celebrating their hundredth year, so it's all just you know it's a hundred years of, uh, you know, and they the the one of the you know tenants the all the warner brothers uh claim to have stand by according to this documentary it, you know it is a place where artists should be able to be artists and it, and it really yeah. has been something of their yeah. modus operandi throughout their history it's why i'm a big yep. fan and so yeah so i mean if to have these two people who come in who uh are are willing to let you know, they, their their MO is to let the director, you know, do do their thing and trust, trust that the audience will that that the audience will find the movie and that the movie will find the audience um, that they, that it will somehow come together. I mean, that's I mean, that's that's a, a risky move in this much more. um when there's so many options for your entertainment uh, dollar, um, you know it's it's risky, but it's admirable. And and, and look, we and sit around and whine about out. how yeah. homogenized and how just sort of artless mm -hmm. a lot of this stuff is. Even the entertaining stuff, it's just what is it? Yep. 
So you just want, so got, yeah. uh, you want a thing like this to work, I guess. Yeah, so they have Barbie, uh, Barbie movie coming out. Dune Part Two is coming out. Uh, apparently, a color purple. Um, oh, yeah, that's uh, that's another one. Color that's purple yeah. with Oprah Winfrey producing that, and um, the Joker Folly Adieu. <laughs> that's right. That's <laughs> that's a thing that's happening. Um, that should be and, great. Uh, of course, I really like Joker. Joel didn't. I did not. I mean, I, well, I mean, it was fine. I I get what was happening. I just, I'm like, who cares? Um, uh, I didn't care that much about what was happening either. My, I was more into, again, the pretensions of it. I was into the attempt to tell, uh, maybe to, to a fault, <laughs> but an yep. attempt to tell, you know, a taxi driver sort of king, a comedy story of obsession and, and the attempt to stick this psycho in a world with people that you could believe and to see what kind of effect that would have on them. We just, all those buildings that collapse and all these big things and all these evil bad guys who want to take over the universe and wipe out entire civilizations and how, you know, then the Hulk like farts and then we all laugh and it's just like, I'm just like, these these things aren't happening Mm -hmm. for me. Like that movie was like, a guy like this would be terrifying and i just felt like yeah it is it works he's really he's really spooky but well we'll it'll come up yeah we'll talk about it uh and making it a musical that takes place in an asylum i mean that might be good it's certainly out there yeah it's certainly uh uh, yeah it's interesting it's you know something go for it I'm I'm all for trying new things. Great, uh, uh, but you know I didn't didn't love the first one. Uh, but we'll uh, we'll I mean I'm sure that will come up when we uh, talk a little bit about um, method acting and etc. In a future episode, <laughs> there'll be a little. It, it will definitely talk about Joker next week. You can mm-hmm. count on it. It'll come up. Yep. Yeah. Um, all right. So this week we are getting you've you've heard us joke about in the past. Well, sort of half joke kind of. a. I mean, we, we talk about it. it's a, it is an important element to this visual medium of storytelling. Uh, what is on the screen and how much of something is on the screen and what is the composition of the picture? And and and, you know, I, I, I know sometimes I. I don't, I don't, I don't, you know, mean it in a mean way, but I sort of poke fun at, at Ryan going, you know, when he brings up the aspect ratio um, uh, of the movie. Or yeah, and you're why, always you know, very smart about not letting me ramble on too much about it. So the audience uh, may be surprised to find out that this show today was Joel's idea. Yeah, because actually I do care about um, aspect ratio. It is something that uh, I, I I'm always been fascinated by t- movies, how movies responded to uh, the advent of television. Uh, I am, have always been fascinated by. I love it. I love that that time in history and and the innovations of what uh, everyone tried to do um to to compete with with television um and that plays into this aspect ratio absolutely plays into this um so so uh so we're gonna get into it and yeah i and i i this was my idea was to do a full full breakdown a full discussion of aspect ratio and how why things look the way they look 
and what do they look like in the theater versus what do they look like at home? Um, and of course, that includes things like uh, Blu-rays, DVDs, laser discs, and uh, the beloved VHS tape. But not and, laser discs. Uh, but uh, not laser discs. Nah, just kidding. Uh, Actually, laser discs play a part in this. I don't have it on the outline, but mm -hmm. if I remember, I will bring it up. They have an important part in this, actually. Yeah, and and so you know, taking movies out, uh, movies going into the theater, and taking movies out of the theater, and how we consume movies, uh, whether we're in the theater or not, is kind of where we are at today. And so today's episode is Ryan's Video Corner, the Aspect Ratio Show. Video. It's the only way to get what you want to watch when you want to watch it. Action, adventure, horror, comedy, drama, suspense, romance, great entertainment. Always a great value. That's right. Uh, and we start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. And that is uh, with what is uh, affectionately called Academy Ratio. That's uh, the nice one... word for it. It is. Yeah. Um, I don't know if movies really started with Academy Ratio. Like, I don't no, go they started with... Yeah, I don't want to go started with whatever. Yeah. yeah, I don't want to go too far back. But in the movies that you are likely to still have in your lives at this point, <laughs> they pretty much started out. And for a while, there were exclusively in what's called Academy Ratio. Academy Ratio is one point three three or thereabouts one point three seven ish mm -hmm. uh, by one. So. When we're talking about these aspect ratios, just a quick little bit of math. I promise I will not spend much time on the math. But it is 1.33 wide by its height, if you count yep. it as one. So, yep. so that's a little wider than high, but getting fairly close to, to square is academy ratio. Yeah. And there have been some visually splendiferous films made in Academy Ratio. Not just all the old movies are in Academy Ratio, but but um, it, up until, I don't know, it's the 50s-ish, almost everything was made in Academy Ratio. All the early color films were in Academy Ratio. Um, the examples I used were uh, Citizen Kane, you know, this is good looking yep. movies you will never see, black and white, but really, really beautiful as a result. Yep. And the other, and the other, the big ones are the all those, uh, every film from 1939, which a lot of people believe is the best year in film. Mr. Smith, Most Good Washington, Hunchback in Notre Dame, uh, Wizard Gone of the Oz. Wind, Wizard yep. of Oz. Uh, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. Those movies Notorious. were. Notorious. Yeah. Yeah, we're all in Academy Ratio. I don't think Notorious is 39. No, 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 no. What, what I, and that's not but Notorious. It, it's, uh, ah, it's going to bother me. Sorry, anyway. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's the shape. It, 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 for those of you in radio land who didn't use any visual aids, it's the shape of an old TV, an old CRT TV is in Academy mm -hmm. Ratio. So, uh, so, 
So even after the movies stopped using it, it went on and on and on into the 90s. Episodes of ER were shot in Academy Ratio. Just, that's a long time ago now, but in that ancient history, most of those people are still alive. Um, Ninochka was what I was thinking, not Notorious. Like, complete opposite movie. Uh, but Ninochka was what I was yeah, thinking. Yeah, but that's 39. 39, really. Yeah. I mean, yep. you know... It, Wizard of Oz alone, which wasn't even that big a hit at the time, um, and certainly Gone with the Wind, which was the biggest hit, and is probably still adjusted for inflation, the most seen movie in the human history, came out that year in and amongst a wealth of, you know, the Capra I mentioned and a whole bunch of other films. I'm not looking at it right now either, but, but it's really, really cool that those films that we grew up with because these movies look great on TV. You can show Gone with the Wind on ABC Movie of the Week over two nights, make a miniseries out mm -hmm. of it, and it looks exactly like it looked in the screen. At least you're not missing any information from what was shot in the screen uh, other than uh, other than overscan. But Academy Ratio, really, really popular. It's become popular again. Some artsy-fartsy dudes, especially in the horror genre these days, still trot that out for reasons that are known only to them, but because it's, it, you don't have to do it that way, except they just, they're get in tune with the composition possibilities by watching those old movies. And, and, and it's like I say, the list of awesome Academy ratio movies, that's as long as your arm. And of course, when mm -hmm. are we to television yet? Is that what comes out next on the list? Well, we talk a little bit about sound and color. Well, I guess those came first yeah. before TV. So, yeah, that's important. Uh, it's, you know, Academy Ratio came before sound. Um, and the first talkies were in Academy Ratio because the final silence were all in Academy Ratio. And, and color. Color was a huge innovation and made... Uh, and even the way that you had to do it, the artificiality of it was still sort of amazing to look at. And, of course, color, sound... These are things that exist in our world. When we go into a restaurant, <laughs> if we can, if we are hearing person, you can hear people talking and you can see what they're saying. You can hear dishes clanking and, and doors opening and closing. And it's whatever's playing on the radio. That's part of life. So having that be a part of film is it's crucial to the evolution of storytelling and color. Same thing. Uh, even if you're colorblind, you don't, you don't really see thing in monochrome black and white. Even those people have a uh, uh, they experience color, just not in a way that it that that is easy for them to communicate with someone who sees it the way most people do. So, and that's interesting. I think um, it, color color is part of life too. And although people still like they could still use Academy ratio, they still obviously go back and shoot black and white for effect. And black and white is still, uh, it's a beautiful way to make a movie, even a simple movie, a movie like Nebraska. Um, yeah. Films that are shot in black and white are really, really, really cool. It, 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 in a way, it's cheap. We made a, a independent film, festival film, um, Buddy Mark and his brother and a, a bunch of us. Uh, and... It, we did it. It's like a goofy sort of film noir thing where a, a wrong man, Rob would appreciate this, gets sort of caught up in a conspiracy. And, and 
for lack of a better way to make it artistic with it being made so quickly, we shot it in black and white. And it worked. It instantly makes it classier and way cooler looking than it would. It, it, even though the cinematography and the lighting in it is fantastic, it makes it instantly cooler. And not, not, I'm not lying, a little more forgiving. Color was tricky mm-hmm. to work in when it first came in. But we see the world in color, and with color you could make things like like Wizard of Oz, that conceit in Wizard of Oz where the, the, what they choose to show you where the black and white turns to color is it's right. It's, it's a stunner. Yeah. I mean, and it, you know, and it's to, to pay homage to our old film teacher, Ted, uh, Ted Morris, uh, talks about how, you know, the, uh, uh, you know, reality, the real world is in black and white and it's only the fantasy world that is in color. Right. Um, which is, uh, yeah, which is obviously not the case in real life. It's the, so. very much the opposite in some ways. Um, Indeed. But yeah, those were big innovations. And then comes along television. Yep. Television, I'm not sure uh, exactly of that, but we're talking about mass produced. You yeah. Know, hitting the scene in a big way, kind of innovate are the order that these are in. And television had to decide. They had they had a fresh start. It was like, well, if we're going to sell TVs to the public, like we sell radios, sell them like hotcakes, soon everyone will have one. What a magical world that will be. Um, we had to, they had to decide what shape it was going to be. And because every movie ever made up until that point, pretty much, had been shot in Academy Ratio, that's why they chose the shape of the TV that they did. They chose it to... Right as a thing there would be continuity between the two art forms and that would be useful if they convert movies to tv and when they were thinking about this stuff this was all like they weren't sure what it was mm-hmm. going to be in fact early televisions more like theater you know where people would just show up and put on a show and they would just film it and then they would go into your house and then that would be it you'd never see it again the idea of yeah. reruns or the idea of people owning a movie in their home or something like this was not in anyone's imagination yet. So lots, lots and lots of live events. And that's what TV was great at. It was like, it was the same as what radio was. You know, you show up, you, you do the radio drama that everybody likes. You do Amos and Andy or you do whatever people were listening to in the big radio shows. And we just do that. And then it was, you know, we can pre-record stuff, blah, blah, blah. There's that great scene in, um, Back to the Future, where they're watching the honeymooners at dinner, right? Yeah. And, and and Marty's all like, "Oh, this is a great one," and blah blah blah. blah. And they're like, "What? Well, this, this is brand new." How could you goes, say it's getting this brand new? Yeah, it's, and he's like, "Oh, I, I must have saw a rerun." And they're like, "What the hell's a rerun?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's fun. People yep. hadn't people hadn't thought of that, so I I yep. always think that's neat. But TV came along and it put movies in people's homes and that they, especially at this time in history, they really had no reason to be concerned over this. But for some reason, Mm -hmm. like the film industry always does every time they effing lost their minds, they completely freaked out and they instantly started trying to find ways to show you things in the theater that you could not see. And a big, it wasn't the first thing they came up with, but a big part of it was the shape of the image. And it was when variable shapes of the image 
come into play that our show sort of takes its cues from. Right. <clears throat> yeah. Real quick, um, just since I got it open here. This is just the 1939 movies that are in my collection, and anyone who oh, knows yeah. me <clears throat> knows that I'm hardly a big time like classic Hollywood fan. But yeah, Wizard of Oz, Gunga Din, that was the third highest selling movie of that year. Stagecoach, Dodge City, Union Pacific, Bo Jest, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, like I always like I already said, uh Hunchback in Notre Dame. And uh, the movie to rule them all, the Gone with the Wind. Gone with the Wind. Mm -hmm. I watched that again recently. I, I saw it as a kid and didn't like it, so I was like, well, "What do I need this for?" And then I bought it because it's like everybody, every film fan has to have Gone with the Wind. And then it just sat here, and then I then the Blu-ray came on. I, go, I better buy that, so I bought that. So I bought it mm -hmm. twice before I even watched it. Yeah, you know. And then uh, last year I was watching everything, and I popped. I I did a double feature: Gone with the Wind first, and then Wizard of Oz as sort of a palate cleanser afterwards and both directed by Victor Fleming, but they were actually both directed by an army of people. So it's, it's those days were not quite like these days in that way either. Um, and it's great. It's great until the civil war ends and then it just is an absolute turd. And I don't know how people even kept reading that terrible book after that, but it, yeah. it really is like as a civil war story, a story of the South, a story of, a you know, a Southern debutante brought low and a story of survival and amongst the horrors and stuff of, of the restoration of the South. It's fantastic as some melodrama of a marriage. It's just, I, it's terrible. I mean, it's awful. It's like yep. really super bad in the last hour and a half or whatever it is, the horse accident and the trip to Europe and all of it. It's just like, gee, God, put me out of my misery. This movie sucks. <laughs> why yeah. are you guys into this this is terrible this is just awful but but hey uh history would prove me wrong on that they say gone with the wind's the best ever so i guess we have to deal with yeah. that a friend of mine yeah. was like because remember there was that big hoop to do with gone with the wind where they were like warner like released them off they took them all back from the shelves to kind of put a little warning in it about the racial context yeah. that's in it because it's 1939, I mean, the racial politics in 1939, plus it's telling a story of us from that at least begins in the era of slavery. And I mean, it's it's not as bad as some and it's all it's not as bad as almost any of the other ones that came out about similar things around the same time. So bravo for that. It's actually somewhat forward thinking about these issues, but it's still you know, whatever. <laughs> it's still what it is. It's an absolute product of its time. And they wanted, you know, they don't want to get rid of the highest selling movie of all time or some giant selling property, but they did want to put a little thing. Hey, this is blah, 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 blah. When you watch this, just take this stuff into account. But they took that one of the most popular movies ever off the shelves and people just flipped and they were, they were paying hundreds of dollars for, you know, used copies online. And they were, they were just beside themselves. And a, a mutual friend of Joel and mine was like, yeah, white people, they have to have their mammies, you know, is what he said. And I was just like, that's pretty, I mean, it's kind of funny, but it's pretty reductive. I don't think any white people come to Gone with the Wind for their mammies. I think it's just something that you get on the side without asking. And it does yeah. sort of need to be addressed, basically. Yeah. So I don't mind little warnings. In a way, I wish, in a way, as a film fan, I wish they were necessary. 
we, we should understand that without having a giant corporate entity have to tell us back off of us. We don't represent the views in this necessarily. I mean, like, right. I, I mean, of course they don't. There is no one on earth. Well, I shouldn't say, I shouldn't go that far. Yeah. Um, gonna, uh, yeah. I was going to say, Joel's going, hey, if, hey now, just giving mm, me the look. Give me remember, the look. Yeah. Okay. Joel, you're right. You're right. Sometimes I admit yeah. So, Joel, what's next, man? How are we going to get people back into these theater seats that they never left in the first place? Sure, sure. But before we, so maybe, in, you know, let's, we got to play with the picture. But if, before we, like, stretch it out and, and expand what, maybe this way, let's go this way. Let's go to the person and, and maybe create a third dimension of film. So this is and make it look like reality. 3D, it's the new hot thing. I mean, and yeah. at least at this time, I'm really hard on 3D. Rob, <laughs> when you write when you write your response, just it's cool, but just keep it under a thousand words, please. Um, that's all I'd ask. But go go ahead. I understand. We'll even read it on the show like we always do. But 3D here, something of an innovation, you know. You got to wear the weird glasses or whatever, and the 3D effects are pretty, they're not really integral to the storytelling. They, they, matter of fact, they're, a lot of times in early 3D films, they run counter to the storytelling. <laughs> there's, some, uh, mm -hmm. there's some exceptions to that. Um, Dial in for murder, and there, there's some movies that were really like pretty, even that one's a little corny, but they're, they're, they're films that used it for to create bigger depth of field and stuff and just to do interesting things with the storytelling. Most mm -hmm. of it though, was just like, you know, the, like the, the, what's the famous one house of wax the guy at the beginning with the yo-yo. It's a yo-yo. It's coming at you. It's coming Whoa, at you. Yeah, oh my God. I'm going to get hit in the face with a yo-yo. And it's like all I those did. people who saw the, their Ella first moving picture where that train was coming at them and they all just started running and screaming. Cause now they're going to run over by a train. I still find that hard to believe that people did that, but so the legend says, and it's funny mm -hmm. to think about, so whatever. So yeah, you're ducking and dodging the yo-yo and whatever other things that House of Wax threw at you. And House of Wax is fun. I mean, nobody says that movie has to have so much artistic integrity that it can't have cheesy 3D effects. And that's a that's a genuinely good movie. So, blah, blah, blah. 3D's here, but it's not enough. Hollywood, from an artistic standpoint, for uh, largely treat it like a gimmick, and it is received in good fun by audiences. But it is received as a gimmick, and mm -hmm. and I just can't stress this enough. It's not in three dimensions. You know, when sound came along, you could hear it with your ears because it was sound that was happening. When color came along, you could see it with your eyes because it was a thing that was had color that was on the screen. When 3D came along, it, this, movies did not become 3D. Movies had never become 3D. All that happened was they just stereoscoped this stuff so that if you wore these funny glasses, you could sort of trick your brain into thinking that something of what you were seeing had greater depth to it. Anybody with any sort of brain would know that it was fake. You can tell when you're watching it. But it's fake. It's a trick. It's a trick and it's fake. And it's fake. And it's just fakery. <laughs> and so 
so it's not sound and it's not yeah. color and it's and it, every time 3D makes a comeback, which it has several times throughout the years, that's always the thing. Well, everything you know, you're gonna go back to watching blah 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 with them. And I'm just like, I don't think about it this way. Do you think some au pair is gonna sit at home in the middle of the day doing the ironing while with the TV on watching reruns of Love Boat and because it's not in 3D and she's not gonna have her goggles on that she's not gonna watch it? It's, it's It was idiotic to say that everything was soon about to be 3D. It was just right. the most bogus argument, and anyone who trotted that out should be whipped and branded. I'm sorry, they should be. <laughs> um, because it's just it's um, so obviously not the case. But 3D, it came before CinemaScope, which Joel is about to... Yep. The, yes, the next up. So they're like, okay. Am I making you uncomfortable, the... Joel? Do we need to start over the no, show? I understand no. if we do. No, you sure? Well, why would I be uncomfortable? Everyone in the world. No, I better not. You're right. I better not. Forget yeah, it. no. Um, <laughs> but the uh, no one. Of course, the the best example of 3D is of course Second City TV and the sketch where they were like, oh. They like they just like a cup of coffee, and they're just like, "Would you like a cup of coffee?" Oh, oh, and they just kind of kept doing it. But to be fair to 3D, <laughs> that's a failure in storytelling. It, it's spot on. I mean, that is yeah. exactly right. SCTV nails it. But it's a that's a failure in storytelling, not necessarily the tech or the innovation. To be fair, there I said something yeah. nice about 3D. There you go. Uh, all right, so uh, 3D is a gimmick, but okay, how do we how do we a lie, what can we some do? might say. Yeah, a lie. Sorry, yes. Yeah, a lie, a, a trick you a willingly lie. play on your own tired brain. The th of course, the three Ds uh, that three D stands for is deceit, <laughs> deny, and de de destructive. I don't know. I, I should have thought of them before I started speaking. Um, you did pretty good. Right. You got to two Ds. I mean, that's really where we want to be for this show anyway. It's true. Uh, so, okay. So we can't, what can we, what can me, Mr. Movie, the movie gang is sitting around their movie table in a sea of cigar smoke. And they're like, well, what can we do that, that television can't? Well, we can be big. We can oh, be big. You're right. We, TVs. we can be big. TVs were early TVs were huge, but the screens were tiny. The screen. <laughs> tiny, tiny, they were tiny, tiny little things. And I mean, seriously, there's kids out there walking around with phones that were bigger than early TV screens. The TVs, you know, weighed as much as a car, but the but they just had these mm -hmm. little screens on them with these sort of warped, curved images or whatever with this crazy amount of overscan and it always just yeah. felt like people were like hey what's going on it's howdy doody yeah. time yeah um so uh, yeah because a lot of those the, because a lot of those glass tubes were hand blown so there was no uh there wasn't any consistency to what you're <laughs> right, you know. exactly yeah so they're like little they're like magnifying glass or at least they yeah. felt like they were magnifying glasses because you go back and watch howdy doody now just off the tape and you see like an episode of that restored and it's not like that at all there it's it's pretty well done actually but it's just where the memory of watching it is with that sort of distortion kind of built in but that's right what what do we do that tvs can't do we can be huge we so we can be bigger and we can be louder 
And we can that, be in that color. sort of, and we can be in color. Although that didn't last long. TVs, were, sure, yeah. But yeah, right now we can be in color. The, those things, you know, that's. And what yeah. are they still today? It's the same. I mean, I've, I've, I got. We talk about viewing angles on the show. We're not going to talk about that much here. But I got a big TV. It's eight feet away. It's, it's like the viewing angle is better than a lot of local theaters around here. Truly, yeah. And and it's it's more about viewing angle than the size of the screen. But there's a psychological thing. Even if your viewing angles are terrible, to ha being in a room with a big screen and viewing angles were pretty terrible back in the days mm -hmm. when movie houses were 700 seats you know what i'm saying yeah yeah so and, and it was so to get bigger yeah, you had to get giant screen giant and, and and that and that communal experience yeah that that everybody is in the room together watching and uh and, and experiencing this giant thing so it becomes an event so television, you know, it's a, it's, whereas television was something in your homes, movies were an event. And that and then so the first big innovation was Cinemascope. Uh, the, I, I love what you wrote here. The modern miracle you you see without glasses. Um, yeah, it's almost like them just kicking their own ass or something. The movie industry. I admire that a mm -hmm. lot. But. I'll reiterate that I'm a huge fan of Cinemascope as a as an innovation because you can see it without glasses. It's real. Yeah. It takes up space in the world, and then and even though your perception is altered, it's a it's a, it's more screen, more space, and a wider screen, a much wider screen in this case, twice as wide practically, uh, yep. just a teeny bit short of twice as wide as Academy right. ratio two. By, uh, 2.55, so 2.66 would be twice as wide. 2.55 yeah. by five by units yeah, by, by one. One unit, yep. Yep. So, and, uh, so really, really, really wide. Um, and that movie theaters had to adjust. They had to change the size and shape, everything. The old ones had to crop, which we'll get to later. They had to crop their big Academy ratio screens to make it work. Um, they had people had to change curtains. I mean, back in those days, it was, it was a big deal that movies were doing this and mm -hmm. because it just changed everything. It had been a uniform thing for so long. They didn't have to change, they had to change lenses and change a few things to do 3d, but they didn't have to reinvent the wheel. Making images twice as wide was, was a huge change and a huge, yeah. huge, huge difference. And that's I didn't come up with that phrase. Obviously, I didn't come up with any of these marketing phrases. That is literally the tagline of the first film ever shot in Cinemascope, which is uh, the Robe, a biblical thriller about the centurion who, at Christ's crucifixion, uh, gambled for Jesus's robe while he was hanging on the cross, and then felt guilty about it, and then became a Christian, and then the Roman Empire put him and his lover to death. It's very sad. Richard Burton's in it. One of my favorite old school actors, maybe my favorite. I don't know. I, people don't like Richard Burton. They say he's wooden or whatever, but I feel like when I go back and watch him, I'm watching acting. You know, when I go back and watch Peter O'Toole, I'm, I'm watching like, it's like watching Bugs Bunny cartoon or something. It's just so, it's huge. It's so huge. And I can't quite handle it. And I love, I love Burton. So I'll just, he's, he had a tough time with the, this film and the character and the waiting around for the intense setups and 
Mm-hmm. I'll just say, since we're into scope films now and all everything coming up now is going to be, not everything, but almost everything is going to be some version of this. Some different way of telling stories. These lenses with this 70 millimeter film, the film had to be bigger, so the cameras had to be bigger. This changed. Films didn't all become cinemascope films. As a matter of fact, most films still weren't. But mm-hmm. but well, it just yeah. made a whole new movie industry that was operating on the side. And and it, it absolutely affected the storytelling because if you're going to show things in scope, it there has to be a spectacular value to it. It makes, although they did it, it doesn't make a ton of sense to make a courtroom drama in scope. They did it, and some of them are great, and they look great. What you learn is that if you're clever, you can do any kind of movie in this shape and it will be awesome. But you got to be clever to do an interiors kind of on the old sets. And now that you've got this depth of focus that you've never had, this intense depth of focus, you know, the the old painted on wallpaper <laughs> stuff, like none of that's going to fly anymore. So that all the detail in front of the camera had to become real. And what's the what's the easiest... Maybe it's not easy isn't the right word, but what's the quickest way to make things real is to go out in the world, go out into Monument Valley and start shooting stuff. That stuff's already real, you know, just get out of the soundstage and start shooting stuff. Um, What films did I use as example of early CinemaScope films? Early CinemaScope is Ben-Hur. That's a great Uh, one. Yep. Yeah, that's that's an awesome one. Uh, Twenty thousand leagues under the sea. Yeah, that's another good one. Um, Disney's first mm-hmm. film in scope. They only made a couple for years and years and years. That yep. one, and that's a that's a. I mean, I think that's a super fun movie. And then, yep. And the other one uh, um, would be uh, uh, Swiss Family Robinson, which came a few years later. Is also in yeah, yeah. scope. Yep. Um, and but for some, but for some. Cinemascope was just a little too big. <laughs> it's um, it is, man. If you're sitting in the fifteenth row of a giant cinema house and you've got a two point five five by one massive screen in front of you, you literally have to turn your head yeah. to yeah, yeah. to to see stuff. So yeah, yeah. it did overshoot and, the mark a little bit. Um, but really it wasn't so much some guy with a, like Joel's describing some guy with a cigar sitting and going, that's too big. Let's just, let's keep it wide, but let's make let's, it less let's, wide. It, yeah, this was it more, just a little bit. this was really the, the next innovation, which isn't even an innovation. It's like a thing that happened on the side. It's like a competing version of CinemaScope. Yeah. Yeah. Just like Color yeah. by Deluxe was a competing version of Technicolor. It's it's just another way of doing the same thing, but right. slightly different because if you were well, doing exactly the same thing, hey, see in court, right? Uh well and Cinemascope, didn't Cinemascope you had to have like three cameras in order to no, shoot? No, we'll, get to that. we'll get to that. That oh that no, that's Cinna, that's the other Cinna one. Correct. Uh which we'll get to. Uh but yeah, they, you know, and of course with these uh these old films, you know, they still it needed much bigger old- film, massively huger cameras, much more expensive mm-hmm. lenses, both to shoot the movies and to project the movies with. So it it needed all new stuff, but it we weren't. I weren't quite to three cameras. <laughs> yeah, that's not. Yeah, uh, but this one, you know, but uh, with these old films, they did also a lot of times shoot them in Academy ratio, 
and then would have to do another take uh, in 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 CinemaScope. So they, you know, oftentimes you're seeing slightly different movie. It's famously the reason why Frank Sinatra is not in the movie of Carousel, even though they wanted him, because Frank only does one take. One take, yeah. Yeah, Carousel is and... another really great looking CinemaScope film, mm-hmm. and God bless Frank for sitting that one out because we get Gordon McRae playing the role yep. he was born to play. Maybe the other role he was born to play, we'll say. But I mean, to me, that he, the movie needed that guy. It didn't need Frank yucking it up, yep. in my opinion. Yep. No offense to Frank, he can act, but he can act. He mostly chooses not to. Joel, this is how I'm going mm-hmm. to classify him. <clears throat> Gordon's a theater guy. He's a pro. He's a guy after Joel's own heart. He shows up and does the does the gig to the yep. to the greatest extent that he can, and he he gives his all on every take. So good guy. Um, but so the the uh so the competing uh competing with Cinemascope, of course, was uh, a innovation by Mike Todd and American Optical to create uh i i love that um like todd uh okay okay no one's talking to you siri um <laughs> siri gets confused sorry if you sometimes. heard that yep uh but to compete with it uh <laughs> i do like that he called it uh michael todd called it cinema uh, oh well it's cinerama which is we're about to talk about because that's another competing thing yep. but it's cinerama out of one hole uh <laughs> this only took one lens a single camera and a single lens, and you could shoot in Todd AO. And what did I say? See it in Todd AO because that's there's another yep. poster that says that. Yeah. So what I think is Todd funny A-O. about that is not yep. it's it's okay. Cinemascope you can sell that sells itself once people get what it is. See it in Todd AO means nothing to anybody i would guess that it means nothing to anyone listening to this show right now like (laughs) it is meaningless and these terms start devaluating themselves of course todd ao is just a terrible name it's like a todd production directed by todd starring todd (laughs) it's todd's todd exclamation point you know uh, steven soderbergh rightly said because he shoots edits you know everything is own movies and he's made up all these aliases for himself because he says mm-hmm. you know the more you see your name up there the less power it has and he's absolutely correct but you know it's an ego-driven business <laughs> some people just yep. never really learned that lesson tadeo means nothing but tadeo is cool tadeo is cool um and the f- movie i use is the best example of tadeo because you can actually go out and buy this on home video right now buy it on blu-ray and it's speaking of Gordon McRae. Hey, who knew I was going to talk about his both of his movies? He did more than two movies, but really, for our purposes, two films. These are yeah, um, these are two biggies. Yeah, the big one, and this came actually before uh, the one we just talked about, Oklahoma. Oklahoma, I I think was the first dramatic film shot in Tadeo. I'm not 100 percent on that, but there were lots of like nature films and stuff shot on it. That sort of thing where they tested it out and you know basically gave it away to these documentarians and they worked the kinks out of it before they sold it to Hollywood. That's still a thing that is done today to, uh, with different lenses, different cameras, different automation stuff. Um, Oklahoma, there are literally two versions of Oklahoma. They're different. They're entirely different. It's like, it's literally like going to the theater and seeing Oklahoma 
um, on different nights. It, it not, it's the same, but it is not the same show. It's not the same performance. It's different. Um, the music's the same because it's all just lip synced or whatever. But the but the film is entirely different. They shot everything uh, with with. It's the first movie that did this. Shot everything in CinemaScope, and then they shot everything with Todd Ayo, and <laughs> they released it. And what they got out of this, because that's not the easy way to do it, I assure you, what they got out of it was they were able to release it in all the theaters in the country that were fitted for both types of projection. And that ended up being smart. Oklahoma was a huge hit and ushered in, uh, I, for my money, there have been musicals and there have been follies and there have been all the water capades films and stuff like that. They've been big spectacle and film and big musicals. But Oklahoma was innovative in that its narrative was really, for all, all musicals at the time, was very, very tight. I don't want to say it was like, like the songs were whatever. The songs were still basically showstoppers, you know. But it it's just wasn't, you know, it was a long ways from Showboat to Oklahoma where you really have characters interacting in a movie and if you took the songs out the movie might not be great but it would still be a watchable film you know uh yeah. so it was a great first one to do and it ushered in what i think is the modern musical era and tadeo is amazing it's it's just amazing to watch the two next to each other because in scope you get it things in the foreground are in super focus things in the background aren't there it's it's and then the changes in focus are super dramatic and and it's really, really wide, and you feel like you're in Oklahoma, and you're on a haystack, and you're looking out forever. Todd A.O., it's taller. It's 2.20 by 1. Mm -hmm. It's still pretty wide, but 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 much taller, and the, and the focus is much more like... You, the focus you get with Spherical Land is where you just get much more even focus across the board and so there's so much more in the picture that's in focus and for the outdoor scenes it's not quite so pronounced although the composition is different for for the indoor scenes it's amazing the difference like it's just it's a super cool experiment if you're a big fan of oklahoma you should own it anyway if you got a blu-ray player at home i i it's so fun to watch a movie done in two different ways like it's just i just think it's one of the neatest things that you can do mm -hmm. todd ao with oklahoma was very very cool what was my other example of todd ao that was very the second movie ever done in todd ao was around the world in 80 days oh and we talked about this on the show a few weeks back mm -hmm. i was like because i watched that for the first time i'd seen snippets of it but i watched sat through the whole three hours and change of it for the first time the other day, or the other week, or it was actually last year sometime, but you get me, in my recent past. And I was joking, I'm like, why are we just on a train going over a bridge in Thailand? Like, why is this just, why does this keep going? It's just, okay, we're on a train, why are you showing this? And of course the reason they're showing it is because footage of a train traveling on tracks from the train's perspective in with surrounded by thailand is amazing it was an amazing thing for people to see in focus it was like a an imax experience it was mind-blowing so that's why when we go to spain at the early in the movie we see this bullfight and it's like the bullfight goes on and on and on and, on, and it has nothing to do with the story and i'm like why are they doing this well it's the first time anyone had any chance of shooting uh, massive 
event with scope in scope and they were around the world in 80 days was meant to be a vehicle to show that kind of thing off. And it does. And yeah. so you just, but all of these films, not so much Oklahoma, but a lot of these big screen biblical epics and stuff, you got to be patient with them because they really do move very, very slowly, even compared to the other film, you know, certainly compared to the gangster films and the other films that were hot at the box office during this era. They just move, they move slow because it's all set up. They want to capture everything and they want to wow you with the vistas and the visuals. And as someone who's wowed by vistas and visuals, like I, I love an old scope movie. I will watch a movie that I know is going to be bad purely because it's an old film shot in one kind of scope or another. Um, because you, you get that out of it. You get framing and composition like Joel was talking about that has to be interesting in every shot and that has to be planned in a way it takes a little bit of the spontaneity out of it just go look at a a, a, a collection of screenshots you know just go and go west side story 1961 screen grabs and just look at what google shows you and you will see every shot is a painting now yeah. And that's glorious to me. Like, I love that. Now, what are we missing, though? What We're missing any sense of fly-on-the-wall spontaneity and storytelling with this. You just can't do that kind of thing with this type of stuff. And you yeah. really, really couldn't do it with the next innovation on our list. Right. Which is... You know what the first movie uh, ever uh, produced in Cinerama was? Uh, it, was it was a, a movie. nature movie or a, a documentary. It was a movie called. It was a movie called. This is Cinerama. This is Cinerama. So, <laughs> so Cinerama set up on a roller coaster. Cinerama set up along the ocean. Just them, right. just showing you off how splendiferous Cinerama is. Cinerama, variable, but two point eight eight ish. Eight five. Mm -hmm. It's not an exact science. It truly yeah. isn't with Cinerama. You know, seriously, if you just bump into something up in the projector room, you would mess up Cinerama in a major, major way. Two point eight eight. So even wider than Cinemascope, which no one was asking for. <laughs> and <laughs> and you couldn't do that. Even seventy millimeter film, you couldn't. You, you can't get wider than the two point five five. Most theaters couldn't even handle that. They were they were projecting two point five five cropped off in two basically 2.35 which is what the movies are made today primarily in shoot they're what the mandalorian is shot in i mean a 2.35 yeah. is really 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 common but cinerama 2.88 whatever 2.85 massively wide uh big huge three camera rigs which you couldn't really put on cranes couldn't really dolly with because they couldn't move even just a teeny tiny bit. It, you move a camera and it does this a little bit, right? You move three cameras and they're all doing weird different things and it's just messing everything up. So three cameras essentially shooting in Academy ratio and then three projected screens synced together, making this massively wide thing with blending in between where you could kind of see where right. the seams were, but they were still, it was done in this fade out way, kind of where you could artfully combine them. 
and the spectacle was incredible. But I can't stress enough how backwards thinking Cinerama was from a storytelling perspective because you couldn't move the camera rig. It had to stay locked down and secure for, for this to even work. So right. what did they do? They Well, what are the movies? Let's talk about them because there are a couple of... There's only ever in the three camera mm -hmm. setup, there was only ever two two dramatic movies shot that way. It was quickly right. abandoned because filmmakers hated it and it was impossible. And theaters this time were who had just had Cinemascope were kind of like, no thanks. So the so Cinerama palaces that couple still exist um were built but only to show things in cinerama and most of right. the theater owners and stuff balked at renovating or because you just you had yeah. to go crazy to get even wider screens yeah the only two that were really shot in that three strip cinerama as they, as they're called are, is the wonderful world of the brothers grim yeah and, and um, more famously how how the West was won. How the West was won has this amazing scene where a way too old Jimmy Stewart is on a sort of Huck Finn styled river raft going down these rapids. And what, what, and you see him on the thing. And then, and the, the Cinerama rig is just hooked to the front of the raft or a barge or whatever that they actually are attached to. And because I doubt. Jimmy was acting and navigating these rapids at the same time, but it, it's still a stunning, like you just look at it and you're just, you, you can't believe it. You watch that sequence and it is like nothing else in film. The camera's not moving, but the boat it's on is. And so the whole world is moving around you. And that is instant, um, at least spatial empathy. You were right on that raft with him in a way that no movie had ever shown before. And there are moments in both of these films where you just can't believe what you're seeing. It's just incredible. And, and there are moments in them where you're just like, you know, uh, this is this is just people sitting on a bench and nothing is moving and they're all talking and it's a scene, and they're all facing the camera like they're all stand open you know to use a theater phrase they're just mm -hmm. acting super unnaturally because <laughs> the directors who worked on these just weren't sure what to do with this this was not like what they had used this was extremely restrictive that said again later in how the west was won there's a wagon train scene where you just uh, at a crossroads the rig is just stationary and the wagon's just moving by you and you can see it winding off into what feels like infinity and yeah it gets boring after six minutes of that but when you first see it you just like it's, it's just like wow it's yep. really really cool looking um which brings us to the, the to uh cropping dealing with these different shapes in different settings uh showing cinerama films in non-cinerama theaters the only way to deal with that was the way you dealt with different sized art when you had a non-custom frame for it, which was to to box it, to put a border around the art mm -hmm. somehow, mm -hmm. either on the sides if your art was too, if your frame was too tall, or on the top and bottom if your frame was too wide, 
or I actually said that the opposite way, but you guys are following roughly what I'm saying. <laughs> right. And no one ever said, it's weird, Joel, no one ever walked into an art gallery, saw a thing that was framed within a frame, and said, ew, why doesn't that painting take up the entire frame? <laughs> no mm -hmm. one, it's weird, no one freaked out when the image wasn't moving around. I'm not sure why, but everyone maintained their cool. Thank you. Mm -hmm. It was a different world then. But what are these different kinds of framing? They have names that are fun. Uh, are you talking about fakerama? Well, fakerama was yeah, okay. cinerama was, went on. You... Fakerama's fun because it's kind of like so, Limax. Right? Okay, so you're talking terms. about. So you mean you want like Ultra Panavision seventy? Are we into that yet? I thought we were into letterboxing well, and stuff. I guess I got ahead of my. Well, head. yeah, I mean, yeah, Fakerama. You have various here. So then, you know, then we have. Well, Fakerama is like two thousand one. A Space Odyssey was a Cinerama release. Ice Station Zebra was a Cinerama release. That's a fun story, which I don't have time mm -hmm. to tell. Yeah, there. Yeah, much, all. But. Yeah, uh, there's a list. Yeah, there's a list here of movies that were advertised as being presented in Cinerama and were, were presented in Cinerama, but were basically shot conventionally with one camera yeah it's a mad 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 world uh the greatest yeah. story ever told right battle of the bulge that's a good one um let's see grand prix cartoon 2001 space odyssey my I favorite is always Zebra. 2001 because in 1968 mgm had two movies shot in scope that were set for cinerama mm -hmm. exhibition and roadshow exhibition mm -hmm. and the first one was 2001 um, which they did not believe in in the slightest. Yep. And, but 2001 uh, had a slow rollout and and became a slow-burning hit, especially amongst young people and especially amongst stoned young people. Correct. Because it was a great movie to see that way. So their old Very prestige popular. techno thriller that they had coming out with Rock Hudson, which is a great movie, Ice Station Zebra, MGM rushed that out into theaters while 2001 was just getting hot. And then when Ice Station Zebra, a reasonable hit, came out, went, they had to put 2001 back in. And it was the first instance I'm aware of where that sort of thing happened on a big scale. So that's kind of yep. fun. And then, of course, the very next year, you had Krakatoa East of Java, which has already made an appearance on this show. It has. Um, and, uh, yeah. And then of course, uh, in 2015, um, um, Quentin Tarantino presented the hateful eight in Cinerama. Right. Again, shot um, on 70 millimeter well, film, the only mm -hmm. way to do it. Yep. And with yep. an intermission, with an overture, the whole shebang, just like the old Cinerama roadshow versions used to be. So so Correct. what was next on the list before I stampeded ahead into Letterboxd? Uh, Letterboxd, Pillarbox, Smilebox. Letterbox. Black bar is on the top and bottom of the screen because your thing is shot in scope and it's wider than your screen. Pillarbox. Mm -hmm. Black bar is on the sides of your screen because if you're a moron and you bought something in full screen right before they changed the shape of the TV screens, the only way for you to watch it now well, the only way for you to watch those full screen pieces of crap is to watch it with pillar boxing and letter boxing both. <laughs> Are you ready on the. Uh, 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 yeah, go ahead. I'm ahead of myself, but let's just do it here. Yeah. You people who bought <laughs> stuff in full screen, all of you. Um, but 
pillar boxing. It, it you got if you want to watch an old episode of of um, Hill Street Blues on TV yeah. right now, you you need those pillars to keep the shape. Otherwise, the only other way to do it is to zoom in and not know what the hell's going on. And yeah, Hollywood look, got away with friends just like that. Yeah. Yeah, they do friends like that. And friends looks like it looks like there's no reason for that. Friends looks terrible like that. Mm-hmm. Very wisely, because they shot not the effects, but they shot the interiors of Star Trek the Next Generation on film in high definition. So they could upgrade it if they wanted. And they shot it on film. So they shot it film ways, which was a spherical ratio, which we haven't gotten to yet, but uh, essentially the shape of your TV. So they were like, well, let's, hey, let's look at this. We could, we could theoretically make this in high definition and make it widescreen and not lose anything. We just gain a little extra information Mm -hmm. and we'll have a more cinematic deal. And since we have to do all the, redo all the effects anyway, because they were rendered in standard definition, it, we'll just do those in widescreen and people will be blown away. Well, the problem was Glenn was in every shot in the, you know, non-protected for widescreen versions of the stuff. There was extension cables and hamburgers and just everything that you didn't want to see on the enterprise in camera. So they wisely said, ah, we looked and like, we didn't get three episodes into this before we're like, you know, a lot of it, even maybe even most of it would look great. A, a, way too much of it would look stupid. So we got to abandon this idea. Um, which is good because, yep. well, we'll get to why. Next. Spherical lenses. Oh, God, I forgot my favorite. Smile oh. box. Oh, yeah, that's right. Smile box. Smile, Smile box is cool. Crazy! It's really both smile and frowny box. Yeah, which is technically smile. Yeah, because, which box, is yeah. like basically like the theater masks of drama to me, man. I love smile box. <laughs> Every time I say smile box out loud, I smile and laugh hysterically like an insane <laughs> person because smile box is just so crazy. So again, I don't know why I would recommend this. You people don't care, but. If you go and buy the Warner Archive version of the Wonderful World of the Brothers Grimm, or the Warner Brothers Standard Digibook version of How the West Was Won, the two-disc version, they each have a version of the film adapted into Smilebox. Smilebox is where the the Cinerama screen on the edges are as wide as your screen, but in the middle of the screen are letterboxed in an arch to be really even narrower than a standard widescreen image would be on your TV. Crap. And what it does is it simulates the screen, because Cinerama was projected on the curved screens, the screen reaching around you, and it just, it's mind-blowing. Like, once you watch... There's only two movies I know that are smile... Well, two narrative movies. There's a whole bunch of Cinerama releases that are just showing you stuff. But only two narrative films, both released in Smilebox. God bless the people keeping Cinerama alive. And Smilebox has to be seen to be believed. If you know a friend who's got a big TV and owns one of those, if you're over at their place, go, Hey! Let's get into some Smilebox right now. I got to see me some Smilebox. And I promise you, if that person has that stuff on their shelves, they will leap out of their seat 
set aside everything that they are doing, and dive headfirst into the gloriousness that is Smilebox. So, all right, sorry, yeah. but I think that was worth stopping. No, 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 you're absolutely right, and I apologize for not uh, for forgetting about that because it absolutely Smilebox. is. My, and I, and the fact that they decided to go with like that's what they went, wanted to call it. Um, <laughs> smile, Look, smile box is smile box is a recent innovation in terms of cropping. It's that's those movies have never been really shown that way. It's the problem is that it's super wide and it feels weird. It feels like that screen turns when you watch it cropped standard, and even though smile box yeah. feels crazy disorienting and unnatural as hell because of the way the the three camera cinerama rig works it changes things so that they feel like you really are seeing them the way your eyes work it's Mm -hmm. the opposite of 3d it's just glorious and you got to see it to believe it it they've only ever did it since blu-ray has been invented so it's very recent but that how the west was one smile box version man i can't imagine watching how the west was one any other way and believe me, I watch How the West Was Won one time ever, and that's probably the only time I'll ever watch it. But whatever, it still was awesome. Smilebox. Smilebox. And uh, all those other Cinerama movies are out in high definition in Smilebox to all the, just the cheesy this ones. Is the, this is Cinerama. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, trip the, to Spain and exactly yeah. those the, the the what's it like at the zoo now we're in the jungle yeah. here's Niagara Falls that kind of thing if you're yeah. a big fan of yeah. like Omni films or IMAX science films those Cinerama ones are they're amazing that's really yeah. I think in the end unfortunately what the Cinerama camera was invented for and even it got surpassed for that kind of thing pretty quickly yeah um Yep. So next up is sp- spherical and anamorphic lenses. Let's talk about spherical lenses first. It's not so hard. Spherical lenses are, they use 35 millimeter film. So this people are still out there right today, right now, while we're discussing this, shooting films with film. Not many people are doing this anymore, but they, they're still out there making films with films with 30, in 35 millimeter with spherical lenses. That is... <clears throat> well, I don't know the examples I used, but you could use a trillion examples. Uh, I, to Kill a Mockingbird was one of them, and Vertigo, maybe? Yeah, sorry. <clears throat> uh, sorry. I'm, no, 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 no problem. Hitchcock was a master <clears throat> of spherical ratio. Spherical ratio is different depending on where you are. In the theater, it's 1.85 by 1. On your TV screen at home, it's 1.78 by 1. Yeah. Not that different. In Europe, it's 1.66 by 1. So European films, if you're watching them properly, uncropped on your TV at home, they should be slightly pillar boxed. And regular movies, like anything that you would... Like even The Avengers, uh, wasn't sh- it was shot digitally, it wasn't shot with spherical lenses, but that was a movie in 1.85 by 1. Yeah. It should have tiny little black bars at the top and bottom because your screen is just a little bit taller than that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and you can also take those bars away sometimes and what they call open mat, and you actually see a little bit extra screen. I don't object to that. That's how our buddies that we started the show off with Warner Brothers do it sometimes. It's cool. Um, I like 1.85 better than 178. You see, I'm just arguing over slivers of black. I shouldn't do that. I should just chill. It's what I tell the 
the black bar haters to do. So I should follow my own advice. But right. It's well, you're you just do, all you're doing is stating a preference. You're not well, you, like raging over yeah. it. You you do feel it does feel slightly different when the image goes all the way to the corners of your screen. It feels more video-y somehow. It's just it's just and because film isn't really meant to do that either way. So I, that's just why I like I'm just like if it was projected, if that was good enough for theaters, even if you're revealing more image, I still think. OAR, original aspect ratio, default to that. It should be the default. Uh, next. Yep. Oh, Panavision. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, Panavision. anamorphic lenses. Panavision, anamorphic ultra lenses. Panavisions. Yep, ultra Panavision 70. So Panavision, this is fun. I, maybe this isn't fun. We're only halfway <laughs> through this, and I'm hey. way, way, way into the show. Panavision created anamorphic lenses and what anamorphic lenses allowed you to do was to shoot on 35 millimeter film just like spherical movies were shot and what they would do was they would distort the image they would pack that widescreen image that the lens was capturing and it would come through the lens and then it would pack it in on a 35 millimeter piece of film and then to project it you had to put a lens that did the opposite thing that turned it from a squarish thing into a widescreen thing and that was a cheap way for everybody to get into the widescreen business. And and after the invention of Panavision um, anamorphic lenses, everybody did start shooting like crazy. Now it's movies are uh, they're not they're, some of them are still spherical, some of them are still one eight five and one seven eight. But the vast majority of movies you see, even dramatic movies, horror movies, they're two by three nine by one. That is what anamorphic. Panavision lenses came in and there's another funny thing all my little funny little bits of trivia that I thought would take no time but are taking the whole show is that <laughs> there you will see at the end of movies you see shot in Panavision it's a very common thing to say um but often that doesn't mean they were shot in Panavision it means they were shot using Panavision cameras but they were shot spherically without Panavision lenses and yet throughout history uh, the movies have all gotten that wrong. They're required to give credit to Panavision and they give credit to Panavision incorrectly about half the time, which I think is sort of funny. Panavision gets the credit, but shooting in Panavision is shooting anamorphically for widescreen projection. Shooting with Panavision cameras could be either, and largely you would make the distinction because you were shooting spherically for a more modern TV shaped film the ones i named i already said were to kill a mockingbird is a great one mm -hmm. but you could name anything i mean uh the godfather is shot in with using spherical lenses um all kinds of the greatest movies ever made even great visual movies are shot because it's still widescreen it still gives you scope but it gives you so much more control over focus and it gives you so much easier depth of focus whereas when you're shooting with in anamorphic lenses you better get your focus right yeah because it because what's not in focus is is important now more than ever it's always been important but with those that particular tool it's more important than ever what is and what you are choosing to be and not be in focus which is where you get into split diopters and all kinds of fun stuff that i don't have time to talk about so next uh, next up is um, 3D! Again! Hey everyone, Again. it's the 80s. 
there's this new crazy innovation called 3D. You see things three-dimensionally, and all you have to do is wear these stupid nerdy glasses and watch terrible movies, and they will be coming right at you. There are no good 3D movies from the 80s. I only point it out again because here it is, treated like it was the next big thing, and everybody was saying, oh, 3D is going to be blah, blah, blah. You're not going to watch. Do you like driving to work in two dimensions? No. All the same <laughs> ludicrous, nonsensical argument, pro 3D arguments were coming out. And, and the best we got was, what, Jaws 3D, essentially? I mean, Jaws 3D, yeah, maybe. Space Hunter Adventures in the Forbidden Zone. <laughs> you know, that's pretty um, good. That's good stuff, you know. But, yeah. You know, Michael Ironside with like a tractor for legs. That's fun. But I'm it's not really great cinema. And 3D doesn't inspire great cinema. Nor yeah. has great cinema really ever been part of its legacy. And it's just fun to point that out here when Hollywood tried to trot it out as a fun innovation for the second um, main time. I don't know. Uh, Captain EO heard of it. Hey, uh, I'm yeah. going to... Stand up for Captain EO because Captain yeah. EO is is stupid, but it is fantastic 3D. Yeah, it, it, and, it, but that amusement park ride style thing is where 3D should be and should stay. Mm -hmm. All right, now we're gonna go to uh, this is really nice, where, nice pull. With uh, Captain yeah, EO yeah. all of these were uh, this is where <laughs> we're a lot of this was heading, and it's to the dark days of watching movies at home. We didn't know. Maybe ne maybe we didn't necessarily know they were the dark days of watching movies at home. But well, we didn't. We got to watch Close Encounters every summer on TV. You know, I mean, yeah. that's where I first saw Close Encounters, a right. huge anamorphic, massive production with tons of scope and nothing to do to put it on a TV except cut half of it off. One half of the half on this side and one half of the half on that side. And if you and wanted you know to what? see Terry Garr... And uh, Richard Dreyfus talking at the same time. You literally had to do this to the frame. Do. That's the old the, pan and scan. That's the panning and scanning. And there's a great. I remember the first VHS video I came out in widescreen was Star Trek IV: The Voyage or Voyage Home. Yeah, Star Trek IV. And Leonard Nimoy did this great. It's great. It's like he comes out. He's got so much integrity. He's a perfect guy to do this. He's like, look, check out this scene of me and Bill and Catherine Hicks in a truck. And they were just sitting in a truck. There's nothing special about this, but yep. the front of a truck, the windshield, is about the same shape as a Panavision screen. And the only way to carry on this conversation that you could just hang back and watch gloriously in one take in, in, in crop, you know, cropped widescreen is to just zoom back and forth and take all the art out of it and all the cool reaction shots and everything. And, I, and uh, I'm not, I'm going to save it. I'm going to save it. Mm-hmm. I'll save it. And we're uh, going to make yep. it, Joel. We're Where there's make, a will, we there's are a way. Make it. Um, so pan it, yeah. it's a great demonstration. There's a million demonstrations out there. Now you go to YouTube and you can see this explained to you 8,000 different ways. Why are those black bars at the top and bottom of my screen? I hate those black bars. Why are they hiding half the movie behind the black bars? <laughs> and all it, and the people just still to this day, like, mm -hmm. believe it. Or worse, worse, Joel. And I'm sorry, but this is worse. Or they understand why they're there and hate them anyway. Mm-hmm. I know they how it works, Ryan. I know what it means, Ryan. I just don't like it when you do it. Yeah. I want it to be in the whole screen. I'm like, 
you realize that you're losing all the image? Hey, I'll just say this, and this is what I say to people before I lose my temper, spill my drink, and slam the door on my way out of their life forever. It's either, there's either an artistic aspect to this stuff or there isn't. It either is or it isn't some little modicum of art in this thing. And if there is, then chopping it off, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Displaying the Mona Lisa without color or with her head cropped right above her eyebrows. Okay? Hey, Thor Ragnarok is not the Mona Lisa, right? I, nobody agrees with you more than me. Yes, you can follow the story without seeing all of it. Okay, yes, I know you can. Mm -hmm. I know you can. But following the story, it, that's part of it. But that's just the only part of it. And you're not following the story as intended or the way you're supposed to when you can't see half the movie. It's a crazy argument. And then the days of Academy Ratio TVs... And what's weird is it started with Steven Spielberg directed E.T. in an Academy ratio. He'd only made widescreen cinema films up to that point. And he started after that, Color Purple, Empire of the Sun, even Big Spectacles, always Jurassic Park. All in Academy ratio because he hated the way his movies looked on home video. He compromised his own art. Not in all ways. I think E.T. is a splendid spherical film. It's, that's perfect for it. And he works in that, like all good directors, he works in that really, really well. But but Empire of the Sun, I mean, I don't think, I, that's a great looking movie, but I just don't, I think these were compromises. I think he would have mm -hmm. shot with extra scope when he could have if he wasn't just sick of seeing his films just brutalized with pan and scan on home video. Right. And a lot of very famous directors. I listed a bunch of them. I even listed Storaro. Sidney Pollack. Yep. Sidney Pollack. Steven Spielberg. Yeah, Storaro. Steven Pollack. Even he said before, right before he died, he's like, yeah, I made out of Africa spherically because I wanted it to look good on videotape. He goes, and now that it really doesn't matter much, it still kind of matters, but now that it really doesn't matter, it's like I just, I look at all mm -hmm. of my 80s movies and I'm like, geez, I, they should have been they'd be better and they'd be more what they should be if I wouldn't have been worried about the home video market or the, or the yeah. television market or the pay cable market or whatever it was. Right. And it, that's a shame when it, when it seeps into the psyches of these people and even worse, right. Vittorio Storaro, one of my best cinematographers that ever lived, maybe the best, certainly in the conversation, his compromise was 2.00 by one. So take a movie in scope, Crop it, but just just letterbox it a little bit. People won't mind little black parts. They just don't like the huge ones. Mm -hmm. Because it's true, man. Watch Lawrence of Arabia on an old CRT TV letterboxed, it's, and there's yeah. barely anything there. This is a movie that's supposed to overwhelm you with its scope and its spectacle, and there's just it's just, just tiny compared to as I said, an, an episode of uh, WKRP in Cincinnati, it shouldn't feel small compared to that, and it did. Right. At least you were seeing everything you were supposed to, and it was beautiful still, but it was tiny. So his fix was that. So now all of his movies... has happened with Kubrick, too. The last set of video transfers that Kubrick signed off on were all cropped for TV. So it, then this legend spread that Kubrick 
protected his films for television, and therefore he prefers the square version of it. So we were watching The Shining unnecessarily for a whole extra decade, not in its theatrical aspect ratio, because idiots thought that that's what he preferred when all he was saying was, for this format, this will do. It's just... It's just stupid. And Last Emperor won the Oscar for cinematography. It's an otherwise it's a crappy Bernardo Bertolucci movie, which I don't recommend. But Oscar winning movie, Oscar winning cinematography, and it's cropped to two point zero zero by one. And it took Storaro dying for Apocalypse Now to come out in its proper aspect ratio. Before Coppola could just say, without Storaro, you know, Hello, what are you doing? <laughs> without him freaking out <laughs> over in Italy. Yeah. Compromise. It just it. I get it. Vittorio's compromise, a true compromise. I get what he's trying to do, but it's still that way. You cannot watch Last Emperor in its proper aspect ratio. Period. There is no version yeah. available of it unless you go find the film and project it correctly. And that's right. We should all have access to that, even if we don't like yeah. it. We should have access to it. You have listed here blockbuster video. Wow, what a difference. Wow, what a difference. Uh, yeah. It, it, wh- wh- how does that play into this? Well, because it was the proliferation of Blockbuster that brought about, uh, and to a lesser degree, Walmart, two of the greatest companies mm-hmm. who only did good in their wonderful oh, yeah. storied histories. Who I've basically brought about, they basically brought mm-hmm. about this. They were the ones who finally stood up. For the low man, the low low man, not the high man. Yeah, Joel, not the, the high man. man, not the silver man, not the no. silver, not the gold man. No, the, the low uh, man, yeah. and said, the low man. "These people don't want their big black bars anymore." Because we didn't mention it, but Laserdisc. We said we'd talk about it. Laserdisc. Great innovation was la- most mm-hmm. Laserdiscs were put out in widescreen because they were only yep. for cinema files with special rigs, and they're expensive, and those people wanted things to not be compromised. And then when DVD rolled around, which was just really, really convenient laser discs to oversimplify things, the standard was widescreen, whether letterboxed or even better, anamorphically transferred widescreen, where instead of lenses, it would digitally take a little crop file and spread it across your screen so that you wouldn't have to have bars on all sides. Uh, even mm-hmm. on a square TV, that was glorious. Wonderful thing. And filmmakers were happy and everybody was happy. And the few people that were complaining would have kept complaining, but that 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 would have been it. If that we were at the point in history where we could have said no more of this nonsense. And it was Blockbuster and Walmart. It was like it, no black bar version. And it made Hollywood come up with a terrible widescreen and full screen. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all these discs out there in the world that are f- full screen but we're about to get to Super 35 which is interesting it's an interesting take on yep. the full screen phenomenon yep Super 35 so that's 35 millimeter film but instead of using anamorphic lenses which were really tricky with focus and, and the less artful and the less time constraints filmmaking got we they, a format needed to come along to make this easier and it's super 35 super 35 is a 35 it's a it's a it, you what you get is a spherical shape shape your tv but what it allowed you to do was to shoot 
it showed you where each aspect ratio was. It had these little clear lines in different colors. And so it mm-hmm. allowed you to see what it, what, t- what it was going to look like on TV, what it was going to look like in scope, and what it was going to look like spherically projected. And a lot of filmmakers, Ridley Scott famously, when he was shooting Black Rain, didn't know what the hell to do with this. Like, it just made the movie terrible. And visually, which it's a, still a visually good-looking movie, but it just, it was this, he hated it. It was this, he didn't like shooting three movies at the same time. To, to, to a guy like him, a, a visualist, a guy who forces the angle, who just gets your brain and your eyes and your consciousness to go right where he wants at all times, a guy like that didn't like thinking about his image three ways. Whereas a fellow like James Cameron loved it. And that is why James Cameron movies. I almost wanted to start singing the James Cameron song from South Park, but I didn't. But that's why the that's why the James Cameron films, particularly Terminator Two and Titanic, look amazing on home video because he literally watched them. He made three movies with one camera. That's thirty five gives you scope with a little over half the pixels of anamorphic. So. The detail isn't there. It's not the same. It's not as cool, but it's so much easier to work with. And and like just like DVD going from Laserdisc, easier is better a lot of the time. And Matrix movies, Pirates of the Caribbean, all the modern spectacles that you can think of, uh, certainly all of them of the 90s were shot on Super 35mm. Hardly any of them were being shot in anamorphic widescreen anymore except by just diehard cinemaphile people and stuff. So yeah. yeah. So Super 35 was a huge innovator. And if you used it right, and I hate to say this, but if you used it right, you could sit and watch Terminator and you'd be seeing a whole different movie. You sit and watch because it's because it's open mat. Yeah, you're using losing stuff off the side, but only about half as much as you used to, and you're gaining stuff on the top and the bottom. And if a guy looked at those, all three of those shapes and made a good movie for each of them, if his brain could somehow function like that on a major motion picture, he was format-proof. And James Cameron, there were a lot of directors who did this well, but he did it better than any of them. His movies look good no matter what you do with them, from basically Aliens forward, and it's because 35mm, Super 35, was dynamite. A problem was, it you had to know less and less about the the nuts and bolts of filmmaking to make a movie with it. And I do think something was lost with the creation of that format, but, Mm. but something at home was truly gained. So that's kind of neat. There you go. Uh, Yeah. Terminator two, the matrix, another example. Uh, But then we get into digital. Yeah. What's there to say about digital? You can, (laughs) it doesn't look like film. It doesn't behave like film. But filmmakers have gotten really, really good at sticking film grain in there, pulling out detail, like making it behave like film. They've gotten really, really good at it to the point that there's still film purists out there. Because when digital first came along, you know, George Lucas was like, yes, everything's going to be digital. No one will ever have a single wrinkle on their face for the rest of time, you know, and everything's just slick and clean. You go back and watch the Star Wars prequels and, and... and even though he's big and clean and clear, like Liam Neeson has literally no detail or definition in his face. His forehead 
is is literally like the desert of Lawrence of Arabia. It's the smooth, clean thing that goes on and on and on forever. And why anyone thought that was great, I don't know. But it took those early adopters and the famous ones making big hit movies to get us to where we are now. And everything's predominantly mm-hmm. digital. That means anyone can make stuff. That has ushered in sort of the big indie era of indie movies where anyone can make a really, really great looking movie with a very minimal crew. Right. That's, I do think that's bad, but I do think that's really, really good. Like I think the, if, if super 35 made, you know, took a lot of the technicalness out of stuff, at least out of focus and framing, Tough for me to talk about two cinematography, which is lighting, because I truly don't understand it. To me, film lighting, really lighting of any kind, is a magical, wonderful thing that I that my brain can't wrap its head around. Whereas yeah. composition, like I think, hey, I'd be good at that, you know, because <laughs> I could put well, yeah. that guy over there and move that plant a little, and it'd be better, you know. I can imagine that stuff. So, but but digital, digital's it. And, and what's even more fun is all of these stupid aspect ratios are all contained within digital. They're all contained within digital. Andy Serkis shot this period movie that that's in two it's in two eight eight whatever, just because he could. People are back mm-hmm. to shooting in Academy ratio. They're shooting narrower than Academy ratio. I've never seen that before, but they're doing it. They they can do whatever they want. That. There are no rules thing, I think, in the end is a good thing. You can shoot in iPhone ratio. You can just shoot in Quibi. You can. <laughs> and people do. Uh, and people do. Uh, so then we get uh, from digital, we go to IMAX. Well, That's, and IMAX well, is I mean, not so IMAX much has a, been around. a new yeah, innovation. Yeah. But IMAX is interesting because IMAX is 155-ish. Uh, IMAX screens are all different, so but but shooting mm-hmm. films in IMAX and seeing a film that was shot in IMAX projected in IMAX, just seeing a film that was not shot in IMAX projected in IMAX isn't really very useful. And worse, they started coming out with IMAX sponsored, IMAX approved theaters that didn't even have IMAX screens and weren't using IMAX, which Roger Ebert right. very famously called LIMAX. LIMAX, yep. Um, but IMAX, it's fun because here's something in our recent history, the Christopher Nolan Batman movies and stuff like where Hollywood again is trying to give people at the, at the theaters with buying popcorn, something that's bigger than the home theater experience. Cause once TVs got widescreen and yeah. your movie started looking really good in high definition at home, I mean, what do you, you could wait, you know, yeah, it's not the same. It's not as big. It's not the people aren't there, mm-hmm. but you can wait. And watch a pretty awesome spectacle at home with a surround system, and you're you're good to go. So IMAX, there's nothing like seeing an IMAX movie in IMAX. I mean, it's amazing. That it's amazing. It takes over your yeah. whole everything. It's everything. You can't escape an IMAX screen without leaving the room. That's awesome. Right. I mean, that's what filmmakers like. Filmmaking's not interactive. It's them manipulating you and them taking you on a ride in IMAX. If for what we have today is the ultimate ride, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. but it changed home videos too because, and the example I used was Interstellar. I won't bring up uh, Brainstorm because it's just too long a story, but uh, mm-hmm. um, 
you know, if you buy the Blu-ray or the 4K of Interstellar, you watch it, it changes aspect ratios. Because what Nolan is doing, and other guys have done this too, but Nolan does this better than any, anybody is. He shot, he, he couldn't go into a farmhouse with a giant IMAX camera, so he shot that with regular um, digital, digital, basically digital Panavision is how he yeah. works. And, but the stuff he could shoot with IMAX, the stuff out in the fields, the stuff on the space sets, the, and the stuff that was made purely digitally, yep. um, the black holes and whatnot, he could shoot with IMAX cameras and did. And so what he did for the home video market was, and it's not true, you're not seeing the real IMAX image, but you're seeing that the changing, the movie is changing aspect ratios the entire movie, depending on how it was shot. And some people hate that. I think that's neat. I really, I love it. I yes, really, I really it. dig that. I really, really I think, dig it. Yeah, and I think that's going to be. I, I really do think that uh, more directors, as they uh, are going to discover, like, oh, hey, you know, I, I for this particular scene, I really just want these visual elements captured. And it's like, okay, well, then I'm just going to shoot it. And, 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 you know, even if they even if they are shooting it with that and shooting it and then they they do the cropping, do the, the at, change the aspect ratio and editing on the computers, but they're going to be able to control like sometimes it's giant and epic and sometimes it's going to be, you know, and it's almost going to be uh, I mean, how why comic book movies aren't doing this more uh, already? Because mm -hmm. uh, I mean, to be fair and link Ang Ang Lee's, Lee's Hulk really Hulk did does, experiment yeah. greatly with this in a way that nobody else did since, but Ang Lee's Hulk right. was so loathed by the comic book crew. Yep. But mm -hmm. his film has the sense of that, very much the sense of that. He he didn't change aspect ratios, but he he did. He did all these he crazy played, things. He did. He did with what he you know in in a with he the tools did he had the language. in the visual field. Yeah. Yep. With the language that was available at the time, mm -hmm. he ch was changing aspect ratios, and uh, yeah. and Nolan did it right. He was smart. He he projects a Panavision image, the scope image with the black bars on the top, but he didn't cut to pillar boxing the tall F IMAX. He just cropped it so that it went the size of the whole screen, which was as big yeah. as it could get in your home. So he. He really did it in a smart way where the intended effect, I think, works really well. There are certainly ways you could boof that up and make it nothing but a distraction if you didn't think it through clearly. Even yeah. Nolan's films, sometimes it's like, okay, establishing shot, small shot, another shot, another shot. Like, it's just like, okay, that's too much. Don't do that for no reason. But whatever, I still think it's super cool. Um, and then, of course, the last huge... Uh, massive shift in in filmmaking and and changing ratios is of course 3D 3D it's the latest <laughs> thing you're going to be Man. having it in your homes you're never even going to watch a football game that's not in 3D because all your whole family is going to be gathered around with giant goggles on their faces what you don't yeah. like the goggles what you don't like three definition it's just and the you cycle. don't like having the football player run into your room? I don't hate 3D. When 3D actually comes along, the miracle you can see without glasses, 
sign me up. I'll be there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like stuff that's fake, feels fake, and makes everything I'm watching feel fake. And that's all <laughs> 3D's ever been to me. So sorry, sorry, 3D. <laughs> we uh, that's how we are going to end our discussion of aspect ratios. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 3D back for the third time. 3D baby. Uh, all right, do you want to hit these hot takes real quick? Yeah, we're do- we still got a couple minutes. I'll have to just do them fast. It's hard for we me, have, but I'll have to do them. We fast. have we have five minutes. All right, here we go. Let's get some hot takes. 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 I feel like Biff on the Letterman show. Remember Biff, the stage manager? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The Letterman did this thing where he's like, "It's it's great." We could say, "Well, we got a few minutes of time before our next guest, Mr. Travolta, comes out here or whatever." And he's like, "So let's go around the room and have a grab bag, and the audience gets to vote." And they just went to Chris Elliott, and they went to Schaefer and the band, they went to everybody. Mm-hmm. And when they came around to Biff, he was dressed like Dracula with the fangs and everything. It's <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. And and we have Biffula. <laughs> Biffula. <laughs> And then they went to the next thing and everything, and they're like, all right, audience. And then they showed the bar graphs or whatever, and they showed everything. And Biff's all like, Ugh. you know, he's all being Bella Lugosi with the, with the fangs and the red red and black cape and everything. It's so funny. Yep. And they went around, and they're like, everyone chose, and they chose something, whatever. And they cut to Biff, and he's standing there still in the stupid costume, except now he's yeah, just he's, going. He's just like. He just looks dejected yeah. and angry. And <laughs> Dave's like, Biff, hey man, what's 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 the matter, buddy? You doing okay over there? And he's like, I wanted to do my biffula. <laughs> I have no idea why I just said that, but it was uh, worth bringing so up. Good. I guess. Oh, because because right. it's because it's sort of a grab bag. I don't know. Well, here we go. It's a grab bag. Uh, all right. So uh, hot takes. This is the black bars edition. Uh, first hot take, pan and scan is a good thing because it allowed the viewer to really focus on what was important. Uh, it didn't allow the viewer to focus on what was important because it didn't allow the viewer to choose what he was focusing on at all. It chose for you. It chose for you. What kind of moron are you? I'll, I'll go, well, is this where I should break it out or should I wait? You, you can break it out here, or there's it'll come. I think I'll, uh, I think I'll wait, but oh, it, cho- it chose for it. you. It took an image that was wide and as and much more like your field of sight. Not exactly mm-hmm. like it, but much much more like it than what old television screens were. And it yep. it focused it forced you to see that, and it ensured that you wouldn't see other things that were part of the storytelling it didn't help. It didn't help at all. It didn't allow yeah. you to do anything. It made you do something, and it limited the way in which you would do it. Or did it help you by taking away that choice? Hey, if you don't like choices, <laughs> some people don't. I get it. I uh, yeah. Um, all right, pan and scan mm-hmm. again. The, this is the this is the pan and scan is king edition of uh, hot takes. <laughs> Right. Pan and scan. I'm glad you're not using these people's names this time. That would have made yep. this tough for me. Pan and scan inadvertently created a brilliant third market for movies because at first it goes into theater and then it goes into VHS cable and 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 uh, uh, and we watch it in pan and scan and then 
theater ratio video DVD and Blu-ray came out and it becomes a third experience and it makes it feel like new. Yeah. I kind of agree so with that hot thank, take. I mean, it, we it should did, thank pan and scan for that. I don't think you should thank pan and scan, but it did create a third market for people who were only stupid, but nevertheless, people that had money like the rest of us who would spend it on stuff that catered to their own, like, bad taste and mm -hmm. limited brain power and gave them the thing that they thought they wanted because they didn't care what they were missing. Right. So um, in, in that way, it, it did. It totally created a third market. Absolutely, it did. Right. Thank and you, those same people are all pissed that the, that the stuff they bought in full screen is pillar boxed now. And so if they, they're probably not buying those things again, because they're probably just looking it up on YouTube or Netflix or whatever. But, right. but if they were to buy them again, they would have to buy them again strictly for that purpose to make those bars go away. Now that the shape has changed on them against their will. Of course, those people mm. probably wish they could just go back to the way old TVs were so that their old full screen crop videos would look like they used to. And they'd be wrong on all counts, but it's free country. Yep. Um, all right. Final one. Mm -hmm. Pan and scan provided safety in that there were a way there, there was a way to avoid scandalous nudity by panning to the other side of the frame. Think of the children, Ryan. It's funny, but it's the opposite that happened. There's actually this <laughs> weird. There's actually VHS copies of like horror movies and stuff out there. Because of open mat transfers, which a lot of pan scanning is, that where you literally see more nudity and more salacious nudity, because kind of below the belt nudity that you were not seeing in theatrically projected. And these things are worth a lot of money now because you just get to make more of a pornographic experience out of the thing. Because these films have been studied horror films in particular but nudie movies not so much nudie movies but horror films and yeah. thrillers particularly is this market and of course horror movies have, especially the classic slasher movies of the 80s 70s and 80s have tons of nudity in them and some mm. of the worst is in the pan and scan versions you didn't even see them on the dvd or the blu-ray because once you put the proper matting up for the director to show you what he wanted you to see. This is often didn't intended plenty of things that actually got into the screen. Some of which are really sort of distasteful and horrible, which is really too bad. And I'll oh, go one yeah, step further. Mean, Not only is yeah. pan and scanning more pornographic, it's yeah. also racist. Pan and scan is racist. And the proof in the pudding, if you looked at our shingle for the show this week, is a little film, maybe you've heard of it, from summer of 1984. It's celebrating an anniversary that's coming up called Ghostbusters. In Ghostbusters, the pan and scanned version, pan and scans Ernie Hudson almost entirely out of the finale of the movie. Ernie right. was the first person to point this out. He's like, you know, when you watch it on home, it's almost like I'm not a Ghostbuster at all. It's only in close-ups that you even see him because those four characters cannot be contained in the pan and scanned image. And Ghostbusters was shot. It was not shot in Super 35. That was still a new thing that people didn't know how to use. It was shot with anamorphic Panavision lenses. It's a, it's a shockingly gorgeous movie when you watch it 
correctly in its proper scope. Mm-hmm. It's really, really, really well shot and lit, and its color scheme is is stunning and striking, and everything about it is kind of a, like an amazing old school, almost like a biblical epic. It's shot with that sense of scope in, a, in a, the most wonderful way. And when you pan and scan it down, it not only does it look boring and pedestrian and stupid, and it brings out its more lame cartoonish qualities, but you, but Ernie Hudson's screen time literally gets cut by almost a third. <laughs> yeah. Still hear him. But if you wanted to see how he was reacting to this or that, you literally, that's <laughs> yeah, not you your choice. Him. And he said, he, he didn't, He's giving Pan and Scan a little more credit than I am. Ernie, to his credit, doesn't believe that it was racist. He just thinks he was the least famous person in the movie. He was the least famous. With respect to Harold Ramis, who wasn't super famous. (laughs) And who got cropped out the second most amount of time because he was always on the other bookend of the group of people in basically every single shot. Yeah. He just thinks, yeah, he was the fourth... He was the fourth wheel. Last Ghostbuster had come along. You know, of course, he's not going to get as much screen time. But, but I think yeah, Pan and Scan is secretly all. Yeah, it's pornographic. It's the opposite of what that person said, and it's racist, and it's just evil. You guys, mm-hmm. if I can press one thing on you, Pan and Scan is what did I call it? An artistic uh, extinction level event. Yep. There is not a single damn thing good about it. And there you go. Right. And if you le- if you learn nothing else about aspect ratios today, I think that is the big takeaway. There is nothing good about pan and scan. Oh, we are for life, sweat. baby. If there was a t-shirt, yep. I would buy it and I'd make everyone I know wear it. If ever we so- if someday if we ever finally make Movie show with Jill and Ryan merch. The first shirt will be OAR. No, AOR. OAR. Wait, OAR. OAR. For Forever for life. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, everybody. That is going to do it for us for this week. You can reach out to us on the movie show with Jill and Ryan page on Facebook and on all the other socials. Uh, email us if you want. You can find that email address. You know where it is. Come on. We've been here six years now. And don't forget to go uh, back last week and watch our pan and scanned version of the movie show with Jill and Ryan on YouTube <laughs> where Michael and, and I also- talk about the alien prequels. Yeah, and look, I probably should have said this at the top of the show. This actually, this episode might actually be one you might benefit from watching the video version. I think uh, it would be a big help, but we, I really did try and do it with the radio audience. No, no, mind. yeah, we, and and I, yeah, and we, uh, and and yes, I, the, the show is, but I mean, there we, I will throw up some some examples of what we're talking about here. Um, but I think it was but, Benjamin uh, Franklin who said, "Can't do Smilebox on the radio, baby." Yep, <laughs> I believe that was yeah. I, he was writing his poor Richard. Or, no, wait, it might have yeah, been Yogi was... Berra. It was one of those guys. <laughs> yeah, one of those two. <laughs> uh, all right, that is going to do it for us for this week, everybody. Take care of yourselves, and we'll talk to you soon. Uh, Thanks bye. for sticking with us. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the movie show with Joel and Ryan. Remember, all views and opinions represented in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the speaker and do not represent those people, institutions, or organizations that the speaker may or may not be associated with, unless explicitly stated. None of these views and opinions were intended to malign or deceive. And now, 
Here's the producers, circa 1982, to play us out. <laughs>